It's my favorite part of every superhero movie. It's the origin story, and everybody has one. Welcome to Pinecone Turkey's The Origin Story Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Henry Harris, and it's my privilege to interview superheroes from all walks of life to find out how they got from A to B, to see where they might be going next, and how we all can learn from their journey. Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in. I am Michael Henry Harris, and this is the Origin Story Podcast. I have just a couple of housekeeping things to go over before I introduce today's guest. Uh, first of all, if you have not signed up for the Flock email, please do so. It's just two emails a month. The first one has your monthly dose of curated art that usually includes a short film, uh, some poetry, a piece of visual art, and a short story or a piece of narrative nonfiction. The second email has updates on this podcast, as well as Pinecone Turkey's other podcast, and that is the Owls on Culture podcast, and that's where I and my son, Hank, who's 11, we discuss uh, different cultural events out there in the world, just usually Marvel movies or something related to that, but we also talk about books we're reading, uh, museum uh, uh, exhibits that we've seen, things like that. Uh, it's a lot of fun, so if you have you know a child in that probably eight-year-old and up range, it might be something for you guys to listen to and enjoy together. Uh, two, if you have not left, stuff, left us a review on iTunes, uh, please do so. That helps new people find the podcast and also helps us get uh, different guests for the podcast. And three, and I'll just file this under the continual learning curve that is life and, uh, and trying new things, uh, some advice if you're doing a podcast. If you ask someone to come to your house to tape and you have cats, you might want to check and see if they're allergic to cats. So I learned that the hard way with this episode. So we ended up taping this outdoors in my front yard. So you may hear in the background chipmunks, hawks, some crows. There's a confused rooster, maybe various other fauna. Uh, so I don't think it picks up too loudly. But if you do hear that, that's what's going on there. And I also want to say that I would love to do a round two with today's guest. Uh, she has some projects that we couldn't uh, talk about that we may be able to talk about in the future. Plus, because of time, uh, I couldn't go quite as in-depth as I usually like to and get down to the nitty-gritty details uh, that, that, that make a long-form podcast so interesting to me. I mean, the fact that she's met and been on Oprah's show... And we didn't even touch that. You know, that's kind of uh, kind of crazy. Also, if you've listened to the podcast before, you know I usually finish with the perennial questions. And these are what I asked every guest. Because of time, we were not able to get to those. And I thought about emailing her and having her either uh, write those down or record them. But since I knew I wanted to do this again and have a round two, uh, I decided we'll just put that off and we'll cover that the next time. So... If you enjoy those and looking forward to those, please be patient. All right, today's guest is Karen Cisse. She's an Atlanta-based actor. She has uh, recurring roles on Stranger Things and The Walking Dead, two of the best shows filmed in Atlanta. And we talk a lot about both of those. And we also talk about advice for young actors. I think she gives some really solid, solid, solid wisdom. We also talk about the role that made her felt like she really belonged and was able to compete in this industry and do what she's been able to do, which is make a living. Uh, 
we also talk about improv. We both have a background in that. That's how we met, actually. And she also gives some advice for actors, but I think it applies to any industry for when you get into kind of needy mode. I think actors, I think we get into that more than most, but I think it applies to to any field that you may go in. And it's a little akin to imposter syndrome. And you turn around and like, when are they going to find out about me? So we talk about what to do with that. So it's a fun conversation. Karen is a really remarkable, super smart, funny, talented person. I'm honored that she was would be on the podcast. Uh, I thoroughly enjoyed the conversation, and I really hope you all do too. Without further ado, here's Karen Cisse. Okay, the whole chorus of outdoor. That's right. We've got... Uh, Every bird and squirrel is going to be coming by. Well, it'll be interesting. Though. Exactly. Uh, Karen Cisse, how are you? I'm good. Thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you so much for asking me. Uh, so this is the Origin Story podcast. By this time, I would have already introduced you. Mm-hmm. But uh, why don't you tell me, well, what is it that you do for a living? I am an actor and writer, and I've done a little producing in my day, too. Mom, wife person of the world very cool very (laughs) cool and where are you from i'm from philadelphia pennsylvania all right home of the eagles what uh what does philly like to grow up in i mean it was cold you know philly people are known for being hardcore blunt um and that was definitely something i had to work around once i moved down south uh i was a little too blunt for most people down here i believe you and not not from you but just from the transition from south to north because i did that in Mm -hmm. reverse yeah and people uh you know the the yes ma'am and no ma'am it just didn't fly and it's kind of insulting up north to say ma'am you know what i mean it's like a what i'm not a ma'am i'm you know exactly (laughs) my uh the acting studio that i went to uh for a couple years uh she was from the south but Mm -hmm. she was adamant yeah you know there is no there is no ma'am here right and that was that's a hard habit to break however i have my son is very mannerable and people love it now when he's up there and he talks but that's one of the things that he's got some southern manners though right i might not have them do you still have family in philly yes all my family is still there philly and then i have a sister that lives in jersey which is pretty much a suburb of philly so right so when you guys go to visit, is he, or is, is his manners, do they stand out in a way? Are they like... I don't go home much, and my okay. family does not really come down here, but my high school reunion is in May. Oh my gosh. Just posted it Are today. you going to go? I'm the main planner. Like, what? if it weren't for me, there'd be no reunion. So I'm the one that gets everybody together to... Um, we had a great high school. It was small. It was a magnet school, the High School of Engineering and Science. We were all going to be engineers and uh, science people. But we were from all over the city. And, you know, Philadelphia is a big, big city. Right. And so we were all from all over, the smartest kids at our schools. But then once it was over, we just all kind of dispersed. So it wasn't like people see each other that much afterwards. So people are excited about it but it's also it wasn't one of those things where you go home and you see everybody at christmas yeah when was the last time you guys had a reunion the 25th we did something on the 25th okay and the 20th those were and and both of them and you organized both organized. of those <laughs> i mean not alone of course right, right, but right. i was probably the ringleader to get everybody in gear because i just had a wonderful experience in high school that's amazing you're like the only person i've ever met who said that well my other everyone in high school we pretty much had a, because we were all nerds so we were the ones that in other 
places we were ostracized, but here Dungeons and Dragons is cool. Right. No, we don't play basketball. <laughs> you know, um, but it was a place where I got to blossom and I was on the drama club, even though I wanted to be an aerospace engineer and... You know, right, so you were an engineering major in college too, right? I started off dual degree and did not finish dual degree. I right. had a scholarship from NASA, which Get out. I'll say this much. When Hidden Figures came out, I was just so upset because I knew nothing of these women and they are the reason why I had a scholarship. NASA made sure that they wanted more smart black women and they made sure that people had scholarships and jobs and I never knew of these women. So I was so thankful. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. And ridiculous? Yeah, it is. But stories are being told now. It took forever, but... (laughs) It's still taking forever. forever, (laughs) But they're being, you know, told now and my son knows and his friends of all different colors and, you know, ethnicities know as well. So progress is progress. Right. Uh, I have to get the, the, the prototypical Philly question out of the way. Okay. Uh, where do you go for your cheesesteaks? I don't really eat meat that much anymore. I started to, but I never really found a place here that the bread is always wrong. That's uh, the thing that's, that everyone doesn't realize. It's the bread. It's an amorosa roll, right? Or yes. something like that? Yes. I have another. Exactly. I have a buddy from Philly, and he's... We were drunk in New Orleans, and he was like, found some, you know, deli at three o'clock in the morning, and just went yeah. nuts at the fact that they were using the correct bread. It's the bread, the skookle, you know, the water. That's <laughs> the only word that I say that shows I'm from Philly is water. It's like the New York uh, bagel water. Yes. Uh, what brought you to Atlanta? Spelman, Spelman College. Um, again, had a NASA scholarship and went to Spelman, and. Um, Bef- when I was in school, I really wanted to go to Syracuse. I wanted to be a chemistry, chemical engineering major at Syracuse. I visited in the fall, and it was gorgeous. And then I came to visit here. In my senior year, this will out me now. It's my 30th year <laughs> reunion. <laughs> I didn't ask. But, um, <laughs> well, once I say this, it's be impossible. But my senior year of high school is when A Different World came on and school days came out. So okay. it was just everyone had wanted to go to a HBCU and Spelman and Morehouse specifically. And the year I got in, the year I applied, they had like 3,000 applications for a class of 400 and I got in with a scholarship. Good gravy. When I came down and visited, it was just, this is where I want to be. Do you remember what time of year it was? It was was April. I came down to visit in April. Crazy thing, I don't remember allergies at all, which we had a little discussion about allergies right before we started recording, (laughs) but it was gorgeous and it was just I knew as soon as I got here that this is where I needed to be Syracuse didn't stand a chance after that did not and then they didn't give me any money and Spellman did and that's, um, that's also helpful also the person I stayed with that I roomed with she was from Philly and there's one thing about Philly people we love being from Philly and meeting other people from Philly and um, so she introduced me to a lot of the Philly people and I'm still tight with them now that's awesome yeah uh, so what's it like going to an all-female school? What, is that something you wanted originally as well? Or is that no, just, but we're I'll right do this for Spelman? The, we're all, right across the street from Morehouse. So it really isn't. I mean, we are, but even our reunions. We just had our 25th reunion this year. Um, and I'm on the reunion committee for that. <laughs> <right>? <laughs> that is a good um, trend. It's an uh, institution at Spelman, the reunion. It's very, very traditional, very, very old school but new school simultaneously oh, interesting um, but it was just amazing to be around so many brilliant black people 
from similar backgrounds, from different backgrounds, from all around the world. And today I just look at the, I, I look great on paper, but I still am like, whatever. But when I look at my, my classmates who are judges and I mean, like within the last month, like five people I know had books come out. The, um, <laughs> the Time Magazine um, with Colin Kaepernick and, and MLK on the cover, that was done by a classmate, Sanford Biggers. It was oh, his, wow. you know, he went to Morehouse. And um, the Time Magazine article with Flint, Michigan, that was my, my classmate, Regina. My Spelman sister, Tiari Jones, has this book coming out that's all on all these top lists. And... You know, I knew them as 19-year-olds. Right. <laughs> you know. Um, Not a lot of slackers hanging around. It, it's amazing. You know, it's amazing the things that people have done. And a lot of times people think that if you go to a place like that, well, the argument against HBCUs a lot of times, well, the world isn't like that. And it's just like, well, I know that I'm the top here. I know no one can tell me you just got this because you're black. You just got this because you're a woman. And I'm like, no, I got it because I earned it and because I'm smart. Right. You know. And almost the fact that the world isn't like that is almost more of a reason to get to experience a little bit of it. Well, the stats don't lie. The stats regarding HBCU graduates, it's like 65% of doctors, you know what I mean? It's it's just the stats. I'm not going to sit here and start quoting stats. I don't know by heart. Right. But you can look them up. They are staggering as to the success rates for graduate programs, for judges, politicians. You know, Stacey Abrams is running and on online to, you know, being the first African-American <laughs> A female governor, and she is a Spelman woman. Um, it's just it's an amazing thing. So you went in uh, wanting to be a scientist, an engineer. Yes. And so when did that transfer over to more artistic side? When I totally bombed freshman year and did horribly and took an acting class. I'd been acting since I was 10, so I've always been doing it, but I didn't want to be a starving artist. <laughs> Understandable. <laughs> no, we're just going to plug on through. Okay, all right. Um, and so I took an intro to acting class because I needed an A badly in my GPA. That's outstanding. <laughs> and my teacher looked at me and she was just like, I can tell you've had training and I don't think it's fair that you're in this intro class. So she gave me extra work and then I started working backstage. What? That's how I got into the theater. And so... People, when I was in school, the people I went to school with, um, you know, Saul Williams, who's like a world-renowned poet now, he was in the program. Um, none of them had ever seen me act or knew that I acted. They just knew me as a barking stage manager and a tech person, and that I loved. Then when I graduated, I became an audiovisual technician, so I was just so behind the scenes. And then at one point, I was like, nope. You know, I was like 28. I was like, no, I really just want to be an actor. Had the corporate job, had the whole thing. No, but it's nice knowing all the rest of the pieces that fit together makes you a better an actor. At least it's been my opinion. that. Yeah. You have to have world experience. You have to be able to know things outside of yourself to bring those things into roles. You know what I mean? You have to... I mean, one of the main things that, you know, when I teach and when I talk to people about acting is one of the misconceptions is actors starting off is they're always trying to become the role. You're not becoming the role. You're making the role you. This is you if you were raised in this environment. And that's why Tom Hanks can be a great actor, but it doesn't mean that he'd be great for Gladiator. You know what I mean? It's it's just it still has to be authentically you. That's so, a myth that you can play every role. Right. You just right. you just can't. I mean, you could be a great actor, but every 
every role is not for you. It's not authentic to you. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So when you guys had productions in college, would it be joint productions with Morehouse and yes. Spelman? So you'd have yes. Morehouse didn't have a drama program, so if they majored in drama, they did it through Spelman. But again, we had um, Big Brother. You know, your brother sister. I'm still close with my my Morehouse brother, and you get assigned freshman week a Morehouse brother or Spelman sister. And uh, some people date their Morehouse brothers. Some people hate <laughs> their Morehouse brothers. Incestuous Morehouse brothers. Yeah, and and for me, my Morehouse brother, who's a dentist now, he's a you know doctor in uh, North Carolina. We have the same birthday, so we call each other twin. That's awesome. Yeah. Very very cool. Yeah. Uh, what was the education like when you were on stage? Or was there film and TV programs as well there? Or no, Clark has an exceptional film and television program there. So. Um, we, I didn't study that. I just was studying theater, but the difference is, is instead of studying Henrik Ibsen, we're studying Lorraine Hansberry. You know, we're studying, you know, um, Adrian Kennedy. We're studying black women. Right. Who, if I had gone to Syracuse and studied theater, I would not be You would have read Raisin in the Sun, and that's about it. And that's it. Even though that was our adult's house. You know, that was where the standard of realism was, is... Right. You know, I mean, of course, one of my projects that I did was on a doll's house. So we had a costume design class. So we studied those and we studied our own. Right. Well. Uh, you get out of college. Are you knowing that you want to be an actor now? Yeah. Is that what are you doing? I waited tables at Bennigan's. <laughs> That's what I did and partied a lot. Is that right. what you wanted to be doing? Were you? I was confused. I didn't know. There wasn't really anything that prepared me. For the real world. There was nothing. It was just like, okay, great job. Ding, ding, ding. And I wasn't an engineer anymore. I didn't know that I wanted to be an actor. I didn't know. So I had been waiting tables through my senior year. Because I came in an engineering major and I came in with um, some credits from summer programs and stuff that I'd been in, uh, I was pretty much finished with the exception of like one class, second semester, senior year. I was pretty much finished with all of my requirements in about three, three and a half years. So I was waiting tables senior year, having fun, hanging out. And, right. And um, just kept waiting tables. Being young and restaurant lifestyle. You know, it was great. Lots I wouldn't of fun. trade it. I really wouldn't. I had so much fun and it was cheap to live in Atlanta. And I was going out five nights a week, five, six nights a week. Was there any question of moving to another city or did you know Atlanta was where you wanted to be? I did not want to be in Atlanta at all. Okay. I was still thought of it as a country hick town. It was a little old country town that country people came to and thought it was the big city. And I'm like, no, I'm from a real city. Right, exactly. Right? I'm from a real city. Northeast cities are very different. Yes. Um, and it was always going to New York if I went anywhere. And it was years later that L.A. became my mistress and um, wanted to move to L.A. But we'll probably get into that story in a little bit. Yeah. So when did your waiting tables, your early 20s, when did you get back into acting? And what made you do that? Well, from waiting tables, I ended up in the hotel industry where I met my husband, and uh, we got married in 1995. I've been married 22 years Congratulations. Now. That you. is Congratulations. That is an accomplishment. It's crazy, right? Like, we look at each other, we're like, what? 22 years. How is this? How do we do that? Yeah, well, you know, now I just have to stay married. I can't. I've been declawed. I can't be out on the streets. Oh, my God. <laughs> you know I mean? Imagine going back into dating life after, I've only been married 11 years, and I've be useless. Well, when I tell people, I'm like, there was no internet when I got married. 
there was no internet. There was no... No cell phones. Yeah, there were no <laughs> cell phones. There was no nothing. You had a pager if you were a drug dealer or a doctor. <laughs> you know? yeah. So I just was kind of living day to day. I knew I didn't want to go back home. I enjoyed my independence. And um, once I got to the hotel industry and met my husband, we got married. We were just kind of hanging out again, having fun. How long did you guys date before getting married? Like a year and a half. Okay. Maybe. Yeah. And then um, got married. We went to the Justice of the Peace. <laughs> and then had a big wedding a year later up in Philly. Did people already know that you were married or was this something Not you kept the on the down low? we worked with. Oh, okay. Be- Is that frowned like upon? That. Yeah. It was just, we, um, we just kind of did it and then um, told everyone we were engaged. And then had a big wedding a year later. Okay. And, um, you know, it was just interesting. And then we bought a house that we still live in now. Good for you. It's tiny, but it affords me the right to be a working actor and not have to have a day job like everyone else. (laughs) That's among the most, uh, I think, important pieces of advice you can give someone who wants a career in the arts. And that's just to keep their expenses low as possible. Minimum, minimum, minimum. My car is crap, but it is paid for. Paid for is a beautiful thing. I mean, it's, it's, is it, does it, is it embarrassing when I roll in somewhere and people are like, she's on The Walking Dead and it's like, go, 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 go. <laughs> so, yeah, it's a slight contradiction of terms. But the fact is, I mean, we're, we're living meagerly, but we're living our life and not, I'm not going to work stuck in traffic, driving 40 minutes every day with my kid in daycare. And, and, and there's people that do that and have to. And I'm not looking down on that because right. I've had to do that as well. And there's things that I can't do because I don't have a day job that I'm like, well, I'd like to do that. <laughs> right. But, you know, we pick our poison. Well, there was a thing on the news this morning. Um, you're saying, I guess, 13, and I'm going to butcher this stat, so don't. This is another <laughs> right, one. Right. We're go not, look, we're go arts look it up. People, we're not on stats. Exactly. <laughs> but it basically says like 39% of people who have full time jobs also have like a side hustle going on. Yeah. And part of that is, I think there's a, you know, a certain amount of people who have to. Yeah. To get by. And then there's a certain amount of people who are just choosing to because they want more stuff. Right. And it, that's that's a battle that. I know my wife and I have, you know, is trying to be very happy with what we have. And, and generally we really are. And right. we see, you know, people around us who might not be. And it's, it's, it's reaffirming. Yeah. My husband had the big corporate job. He's a chef. He, you know, was working for a major hotel and, you know, kind of far up the food chain there, but was miserable. Mm. And now are we making that, you know, are we bring it in that same income and the, excellent health care <laughs> you know no but is he miserable am i miserable is he now he gets to be a part of our kid's life where before he missed everything what is he doing now he he works with tyler perry sometimes too he does um on set catering he does a lot of um he's just kind of a freelance cool chef caterer and you know, but we'll get loads of food from places. And so we, we're we not, ex- we live well for, and we live within our means. I understand. It's awesome. Yeah. It you, could be awesomer. You trade a little bit of security for freedom, but that's, right. I like that trade. Yeah. You know, yeah. to be it's, honest with it's, you. I'm living life on my own terms the way I, I mean, yeah, I would want more money, of course, but. Who wouldn't? Yeah, I'm shrugging. You can't see that, but I'm shrugging. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> so tell me, uh, tell me about acting coming back and when the transition really was and when it became something you were going to pursue again. I know. Rustas. No, right? <laughs> we, um, well, I first started, I just ended up taking like a class at the Alliance, a basic theater class because it had been a while. So I took a basic theater class. Do you remember what, where the impulse came from to do that again? Well, I had a show on public sa- public bleh, public access um, okay. on People TV. I had my own show, and because I was an AV person, I've always been able to you know shoot my own stuff, edit my own stuff, you know, run sound. I know sound gear, you know, know all that stuff from my years of AV, audiovisual, and um, just being on camera. I just was like, why? Why am I doing this? Why I just want to act. That's what I want to do. That's what I've always wanted to do. And my parents, my family always supported me in that. You know, when my mom would come to see shows that I was stage managing on or running props or something, she's like, why are you moving trees in the dark? You're supposed to be on stage because I was a dancer, too. You know, I used to dance, too. So she's like, you're a performer. Why are you doing this? <laughs> you know, and when I told her I was leaving engineering, everyone was tripping. She's like, it's about time. That's amazing. <laughs> you know, it's uh, you know, so that's so rare. Yeah, yeah. So I um, left that. I started taking the class, and then I was like, yeah. So I started making the transition. All the guys I worked with, you know, in the '90s, doing AV in the hotel. I mean, Georgia, Atlanta. It was just the golden era of hotels and conventions. And we had we had great strip clubs back then, right? Well, that's yes, why people that wanted. We're known that's for. why we got the conventioners, right? And when I'd say I'm a dancer, they'd be like, "Which club?" I'm like, oh "Not that God. kind of dancer," <laughs> but you know, power to you, sister. That's right. my favorite moment in uh, Independence Day <laughs> when like, she meets the first lady. And she's like, "Oh, a dancer. Oh, ballet." <laughs> right. <laughs> she's like, yeah. "Exotic." But, right. But, yeah. But, but okay. It's, it's, <laughs> we're dedicated. Right? Exactly. <laughs> but um. So, look, I'm like, I lost my train of thought. It's the... Uh, We're taking classes of the Alliance, and right, what's our yeah. next step? So, I started doing that, and then I met Pat Brown, who is a stand-up comedian doing great in New York. And she was like, oh, yeah, I do improv. I was like, what's improv? What? Well, I mean, I took, I took theatrical improv at Spelman. <laughs> no, 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 no. This is different. So, I started going to um, Blacktop Circus... Uh, and Tommy Futch ran that, who everyone in Atlanta knows, no, Tommy Futch. An institution. So he was like, I think you'd fit in a little bit differently over here. and Because they were all stand-ups. So, you know, stand-up guys kind of come from a different type of, of comedy place. Completely. You know, it's a me me thing, whereas improv and sketch and everything is a we thing. Um, so I took classes with Laughing Matters and, you know, took classes through Tommy found out about whole world theater i like the concept of a six-month class because i feel a lot of times a lot of classes are six week eight weeks and it's that's when you kind of make that breakthrough and that's kind of when you drop a lot of your you know all the things that kind of make you concerned your idiosyncrasies and everything Certainly. and that's when you begin to really trust your classmates and then now it's over so i like the concept of a six-month class and you know what happened after that I, uh, <laughs> you know came on with with whole world joined you know we became friends through the apprentice program and and then moving up through the whole world so it seems like a million years it ago. was a million years ago my very first show after i graduated the six-month program my very very first real show as a 
and apprenticed was 9-11. That was my very first day that I was supposed to perform. And of course, everything got canceled that day. Yeah, it did. Still showed up to perform, though. (laughs) Still showed up because I'm like, show must go on. People got to laugh, right? Yeah. (laughs) But it was canceled. And that, that lets you know how long ago that was. You know, but um, and improv became my thing. Improv became my thing. I loved it. It was one of those things where it just made sense to me. All of those little things that live in my head, and when I break out into song in the middle of something, if somebody says something, ah, la 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 la, you know, all of it made sense to me. And I found people that clicked, and we understood each other. All the voices and characters that I did growing up, and that people just thought I was weird. I'm like, yes, I'm weird with a purpose now. Exactly, right? and you're surrounded by other people other, who are equally as weird. Exactly, you know. Do you remember your first paid acting job? And I'm talking like in Atlanta, yes, through yes, your agent, yes. that kind of thing. I'm trying to think. It was probably like a commercial or something. I should know this, right? Oh yes, it was a real ghetto commercial, like one of those girl. Where you get them credit? You know what I mean? Uh, like it was one you're of right, those title max type thing. Yeah, yeah, girl. Oh, why did you tell me about this? Like one of those types. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I had a lovely long wig on. um, Yes. And I had worked with uh, my friend Crystal, who we had done an independent film together. So it was kind of cool to work with a friend for the first time. That's the thing about Atlanta is it's it's still such a small industry. It's grown substantially within the last two to three years just through all of the influx of people moving here. Um, which I've just realized, I'm like, who's that? Who's that? Who's that? Who's that? Who's that? Completely right. We're, we're yeah. a place where people move to now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what advice would you give someone who, you know, say, let's say they're in the mid-20s, um, they've either had some acting training in college or they're uh, wanting to try a brand new, what, would you, what advice would you give someone? Well, I think what we talked about early on is, you know, multiple streams of income. You got to find what you do for free and find a way to monetize it. You know, you can you build websites? Can you, you know, do you braid hair? Do you, you know, paint houses? Like, whatever you can do, find a way to make money off of it on your time. And do that now. Um, and so money isn't an issue. Because as much as I can say I have my freedom, I would like to get new headshots right now. And my kid needs new clothes because he's a giant. You know what I mean? Right. And and it's, it's, a, it's a choice. It's a hard choice. And when you have income that's coming in from multiple places you can pop fifty dollars out here and there every once in a while so definitely find a way there is no honor in just being broke for the sake of being broke no that's um you know what i mean and i think a lot of times artists are like well i'm not supposed to do this it's no it's it's kind of honorable to be able to pay your bills on time that is honorable Right. You know, although it's unavoidable. So <laughs> Every now and then it happens, but happens. You that's going to happen. But um, definitely respect the craft, but not too much where you're a jerk. You know what I mean? Respect everyone's part in what we do. Keep training, do stuff, write your own stuff. It might suck at first, whatever. Don't expect to get series regular and you don't have a commercial credit on your resume. I see that a lot is people expect, you know, it's so much more than just being a good actor. It's having a good track record of submitting good auditions in on time, every time. It's showing up early on set every time. It's being ready every time. It's not showing up hungover every time, you know, and those are the people who book. And, And it's knowing 
when we talk about the craft specifically, it's more of what I was saying. It's knowing how to make each role yourself. What is it about you that stands out and find a way to put that in everything, regardless of if this character grew up rich or poor or in the city or in the country or overseas or, or whatever. If they're a scientist or an artist, it's still something about you that needs to come through in the role. And then let it go. Let it go. Um, another thing is I look at this as like the sales industry is that it takes 10 no's to get to a yes. So you can't look at a no as a bad thing because that's just getting you one closer no to my yes. Your ratio is a lot better than mine. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well no, it's, it's, it's honestly not even that anymore because right now I'm like, why am I not booking? Right yeah. Now. But when you start getting to 10, when you start getting to 20, okay, well, what can I do? Am I... Am I you know, start looking at things and looking at things objectively. That's what's good about the self-taping movement is mm -hmm. I can pay attention to things I'm doing that I didn't know I was doing before. You know, I come into an audition, okay, I'd like to stand here, I'm going to look here. I'm pointing, too. You can't see me pointing. <laughs> <You know? laughs> it's it's um, taking control of what you put out and making sure that these are decisions you're making and not just things that you're stumbling upon. Right. You know? put thought into what you're doing. Research. There's no reason nowadays to not know what it is you're auditioning for. Everything's on YouTube. Everything is everywhere. Every director, every, you should know everything. As soon as I get a project, it comes up. Now, sometimes they have different names and if it's a new show and it, it's, you know, got a different name. Yeah, it might be a little bit harder. But most stuff, you better know. If you don't watch that show, you better watch an episode. You better figure out what the tone of the show is so you know what you're doing. That's such a big thing. Yeah. Uh, auditioning for a Tyler Perry show is very different than auditioning for, you know, you know Stranger Things. Yeah. Just completely different tones. Mm -hmm. um, speaking of Stranger Things, you, yes. you recently uh, completed, or maybe not completed, a, uh, a run on the show. Can you tell me a little bit about that experience? And take me through from... Audition to, you know, rap party. It was honestly, it's been the best job ever. Tell me why. And for a number of reasons. Because I booked this after I had already done a couple of episodes of The Walking Dead. So for me, The Walking Dead, I didn't watch The Walking Dead because I can't do zombies. I mean, I can now because, you know, we've had lunch. But, you know, right. it's, um, I was like, well, that's a huge show. So that'll help make me famous. No. <laughs> did, it, did it help? Did it give you momentum? Did it help? Um... I I don't know if it did. I mean, it doesn't look bad. But you and I know 10,000 people that have been on that show yeah. who are living in the same house, living in the, you know what I mean? It's, that was the reality check that just because you're on a big show, it doesn't necessarily change what your hustle needs to be, your day-to-day -day hustle. You still are on the hustle. I'm still booking co-star stuff. You know, um... But by the same token, it's it's a good job to be on. It's the best set. It's a great set, you know. But it still took a minute to kind of be like, oh, my God, I cannot. Like, my first down set over that was like, oh. <laughs> that was hilarious. So fast forward to Stranger Things. I had had an audition for the first season that I didn't book. Um, the second season, I when I auditioned for one part, I was just like, I, I want to hold out. I feel like something else is coming up. And then I got the audition for Mrs. Sinclair. And the thing about it is this is why you always do good work. 
is because the executive producer of Stranger Things is Sean Levy. And I had worked with Sean Levy on the internship. And the internship was probably my first, that was the first role that it was like, okay, I am in this movie. I'm an actor. I'm an actor. It was my first red carpet, you know, Hollywood red carpet and everything. It was the first of many, many things. And that was one of those things where I was so excited because I auditioned for a smaller part and I got the um, call back. And when I got to the call back, there were four of us three white women, I knew all of them, and me. So that usually means you did a great job, but we're probably going to go with a white girl. (laughs) You know what I mean? That's what that means. But when I did the audition at the time, I didn't know who Sean Levy was. I didn't know what this movie was because I couldn't really find it online. Right. Um, So I didn't know it was Vince Vaughn and Owen Wilson. Um, And when I came in for the callback, it was literally like a two-line thing, but I made them laugh. And so Sean Levy, he whispered to to Sean Goulding, who was working um, with Chris Redding at the time, and they asked me to stay. They gave me another part to read. They were like, can you come back and read this? And so I had to leave. I had to go to TJ Maxx and pick up something. I changed my hair, and I memorized that. I did the scene, and then he wanted to improv, and I'm like, boom. I can improv. Right? I can do this. Got this. And so I did it, and I just saw it on his face that he liked it. I booked it. It was when, because um, this wasn't a part that was open to Atlanta actors. It was only open to, like, oh, wow. L.A., New York people. So I was excited. I got a call from Shea Bentley Griffin, you know, who called my agent at the time and was just like, you know, tell her congratulations. This is a great thing. Then when I booked it, you know, um, after this, now I researched Sean Levy to find out he had directed, you know, Night at the Museum, which was my son's favorite movies. Oh, I love that. Favorite movies. So I get stuff signed by him. He's quoting Teddy Roosevelt. My kid is all into history because of these movies. And he was just like, Karen, you were so great. You know, um, most people cannot hold up with Vince Vaughn and Owen Wilson. I had to improv with them and BJ Novak. And it was an amazing experience. He called me later to say, I just want to let you know you did a great job. Um, expect to see yourself in the trailer. I thought it was just an amazing thing. So fast forward. That's a great thing because he doesn't have to do that. He doesn't. And it was at a time where I really needed that as a needy actor. I needed someone to tell me, no, you're doing good. You, you do a good job, kid. You, like, you know what I mean? I needed the pat on the back. I know we're veering away from the Stranger Things story, but I want to follow up on this just for a second. Yeah. So what what do you do when when that happens? When it you know when you get in the cycle of um, God, I'm a horrible actor. Oh. I'm never going to work again. What am I doing? Like, what do you use to keep yourself sane and to kind of pick yourself up? This is when it's important to have your circle. You know, and we all talk each other off the ledge every once in a while. When we're, why am I doing this? I'm almost 40. I'm almost 50. This is ridiculous. I can't believe. I don't have any money. I don't have any. This is so stupid. Everybody thinks I have lots and lots of money because they saw me on a movie three years ago. (laughs) You know? So you have to have a strong circle around you. And it's totally fine to step away. This is the one business that you can always do. The lady on the Titanic was, what, 90-something? You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's, it's the one business. And the older you get, the less people are in your category. That's very true. You know what I'm saying? Um, so that was that. But I will say this much, too. I did send a thank you card to Sean Levy. I did, you know, that is something I'm big on is sending cards through the holidays. You know, um, a lot of times with the holidays, people get caught up in, well, it's not religious. Well, you send a Happy New Year card. You send, you know, because that works for everyone. You send 
cards because it's a hard copy. It's something someone can put in their office, and no one does that anymore. Are you putting your uh, like business card with your headshot nope. on there now, or nope. just nope? I just send thank you. Have a great year. Because it's not always about promotion. It's about just putting good energy out in the world and letting people know that you appreciate them. I think anyone who does not get their agent, does not get things for their casting director. Every time I book, I send something to the casting director. You know, when I booked Stranger Things, I sent truffles to the fit candidates. You know what I mean? It's, it's letting people know in this business that I appreciate what you're doing for me because I can't do my job without them. Certainly cannot, and also, and I don't know anything about Sean Levy, but my my presumption is that where he got, you know, the idea or the the practice of like calling you is working his way up as well, exactly. and just you get used to being a gracious, grateful person. That's what a nice thing for an actor or anyone. And he always has his kids on set. Like his, he has four daughters. They, the two girl, two of the girls that were in my scene are to his daughters. And now one of those daughters works for him. I saw her at Stranger Things when we did the table read and everything. So I'll fast forward to Stranger Things. Please. So, uh, yeah, because that's where no, the that's me. Was, I, com- right? I completely derail us. That's that's kind of what <laughs> yeah. I do. Um, and so, um, you know, with Stranger Things, I auditioned. I knew it was Sean Levy. I knew the casting director Chase, who was one of my former agents as well. And that was the first time I called up my agent and I pushed for this part. I was like, look. You tell them Sean Levy already knows me. He already likes me. I deserve this. I've been working hard. And so it took about three weeks, you know, probably about three weeks for me to get word. Within this three weeks time, Saturday Night Live did that skit about where were the black kids' parents. (laughs) Like they did the skit. I was working with somebody and they were like, you know what? You should be that mom on Stranger Things. And I'm like, really? No. That's interesting to hear. I'm glad you think that. I agree. So when I booked it, our our niece was here from the UK. And we were supposed to be going to my son's, like the school was having the football game. It was the Friday night football. And we were supposed to be going, but we had to wait. I'm like, nope, we're waiting until I get this word. So I had to go to the game knowing I had just booked this role in Stranger Things and just sit there. It was freezing too. That's (laughs) what a feeling though. Just sitting there like, (laughs) well, tell me about the audition first. So you, you, you awesome. You were proactive on getting it. You knew that it was coming. Yeah. You worked to get it. You Mm -hmm. get the audition. Uh, Tell me about the audition. What were the sides like? Cause it, was it the scene in the table or was this it? This scene, actually, I think the scene was eventually cut. Like they, it was cut for time because I was just like, we've got to shoot that, right? <laughs> Me and Arnell, who's, who's my husband, who's Mr. Sinclair. Um, and I think it got cut just because of other stuff. But seeing the second season, I was amazed and just stunned. This was the first show that I booked that I was a fan of. My mm. son and I got Netflix to watch Stranger Things and to watch Luke Cage. Those were the two shows where we like, everyone, when they started talking about Stranger Things, it was like, we have to watch this. We binged it together. And so we were just amazing fans. So even my son. Then you got to be on it. Did your son go nuts? He was. And, you know, it it was just an amazing thing. And um, so the fitting. The but fitting. the audition, I want to okay, hear the, about the audition. The audition was really So how many? Just another audition. Three pages, two pages, one page? Yeah, two, three. How many times two scenes. Were you, did you tape? Yeah, you had to tape, self-tape. 
Did you come back in for... Nope. Booked off the tape? Yeah, booked off tape. Damn, baby. You know? But you get to a point where only certain people are getting certain auditions. Right. You know what I'm saying? And again, when I pushed for it and was just like, Sean Levy knows me. He already likes me. That was when I felt empowered to do that. Up until that point, I had not felt that type of empowerment. And that's when, you know, I'm like, I'm on The Walking Dead. I've been doing this a long time. I put in good work. Um, and that's another thing is is accepting your power. You know, mm. I see a lot of people who accept power they haven't earned yet. <laughs> that's never attractive. But when you've been doing this a long time and you've been gracious and you are well-respected within your community, you have to just own that and, and say, no, I, I, I deserve this. I'm, I'm, I deserve this as anybody else. Right. You know, I see what's on TV. I know I could do that yeah. for real. Like, for real. And like, you know you can do it, not you think you can do it. Acting is one of those things to me because the people that are very good at it make it look so easy. Right. Everybody thinks they can do it. Yeah. Now, yeah, nobody, nobody thinks they could be a ballerina. Yeah. You know. But with acting, it's like, okay, we'll just watch that local commercial with the guy and see how they read. Yeah, check out the difference. It's amazing. Playing themselves. <laughs> it's know? amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, it was, it was one of those things because, again, you got to audition and just kind of let it go. I kind of didn't let this go because it was getting close and I really, really wanted it. And I knew I was within striking distance. Right. You know what I mean? I knew it was the type of role that I knew I could book. Do you go to a taping service or do you do it yourself? Um, I for the big big ones I go to a service. Uh, some for, I mean I just had like four or five auditions like within the last two weeks. <laughs> I can't afford to do that every time. Right. Because I'm haven't booked anything in a while. Right. You know. Um, and it's uh, you got to make do because it is hard. It, it was that was probably the big thing that changed the industry is the self taping. Um, and I think that's what's kind of, there's a big thread that I was following yesterday where I, I think it's frustrating that casting, and I'm sure casting directors feel the same way, that they have to spend a half a page, a page of instructions that if you are auditioning, you should know these things already. If you don't know these things already, you should not be auditioning. Right. And so I think- Where was the thread? Facebook, where everything is. All right. <laughs> <laughs> And it's it's one of those things where I think this is separating the pros from the wannabes. And I get frustrated because the market up until this point, which was such a commercial and um, industrial corporate market, where you can send people up for anything if it's a, a human resources training video. Right. You can't send everybody up for a movie. You no. can't send everybody up for everything. What's your reputation on the line every time you send somebody? Exactly. It puts all of our reputations on the line. And that's one of the things that I always have is that I'm not just representing myself. I'm representing everybody. That's what I have as a black woman where I know when I go places I'm representing all black women because people will judge me, judge everybody else by what I am and what I bring forward. So I would like to see only the creme de la creme get to go up for you know the, the parts even though it might be one line or two line right or whatever anything can develop anything can become a recurring character or just like you know with the internship yeah. you know you can right audition for one and you know, getting up. a better role level up so take me to the take me to the fitting okay so this is my favorite okay right. because i was you know 13 14 in 1983 84 which is when um this takes place. So the kids that are playing the kids, I was that age. So 
everyone is awesome. There's a lot of people on their crew that are also on Walking Dead. So, you know, this is the first time I came in. Hey, what's going on? Hey, what's going on? You Isn't know, that a like great a feeling when you know somebody? Right. Like, you usually like makeup or costume. Yes. You know, and you're like, oh, we've worked together. I don't remember on what. Yeah. And oh you my feel God. like, because hey. I work so often. It could be, it could be right. anything. It could be anything. Oh, my God. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> How are you? How's your kid? Right. Anyway. So... We're listening to 80s music and literally everything. I'm like, my mom had that jacket. Oh, my God. My little sister had those pajamas. Oh, my God. Look at this. And then, so since my hair is normally natural, I do, I press everything out the night before just so it's not taking forever in the hair and makeup. So they're just supposed to really style your hair. They're not there. So, you know, our white women don't show up with your hair wet. They're not really trying to do all that. Right. You know what I mean? They're just there to style your hair, not do your hair. Yeah, the star making the treatment. The, right. You need to make it as easy as possible. But many times they've got their own hair person, right? You know? Um, and so the night before, I curled my hair. And it's exactly how I wore it in high school. Like, that's exactly how I looked in high school. And I come downstairs. The Goldbergs is on, which my son and I watch, which is Philadelphia in the 80s. That episode, they're at Willow Grove Mall, which is the mall I went to in high school. And they're in Spencer Gifts, which is where we hung out at that ball. And I'm like, doo 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 doo. Like, it was just the craziest thing because I'm here looking like I did in high school and experiencing some type of high school nostalgia. And um, on set, the attention to detail, like, you didn't even see all of that. That table scene, like the scene with the, um, in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. The Mrs. Butterworth's bottle was glass. The kids are like, why can't I squeeze this? You just got to wait for a kid. That's what we had to do in the 80s. Just got to wait for that syrup. That's amazing. They had the Betty Crocker, like the um, recipe card box. Right. That everybody's mom had. That little card box. You'd be like, I want appetizers with chicken. Right. You know what I mean? And um, I'm thumbing through stuff now that you don't see. But it was just amazing. The attention to detail, the plates where I'm like, oh, my God, they had this encyclopedia set where it was these little brown books that my mom, my mom was a teacher. So she always had like educational books and everything. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is the same books my mom had. It's it's plants and automobiles. And, you know, it was it, the attention to detail was amazing on that set. Just yeah, I believe amazing. you. And yeah. I feel like with uh, with a show like that or like Mad Men, like, you know, how you do anything is how you do everything. Yeah. And so it, it matters because that's just going to trickle down to every single person who's working on the show. Yeah. So it was, this is, and this is where I have the most, where people will know that part. You know, I've got to do too much explaining to tell people who I am on Walking Dead. Well, I'm in Hilltop, you know, Birdie, I'm the black one. I spoke up for the group that one episode right. when I spoke, right, you yeah. know. Um, so the other thing about Stranger Things is, and Walking Dead, like now I get fan mail, right? And that is, I have things that are happening now that I always dreamed of happening, but now that it's happening, it's weird. Is it fulfilling or is it? weird. Okay. It's just, How's it weird? it's weird. Cause one, I'm like, okay, I'm barely on the show. Like I get, why well, deny and. Andrew Lincoln. Like, I get Norman Reedus and Melissa. Now, that's another thing. We didn't talk about Melissa McBride because all of us know Melissa from her casting days. And she's someone that it was so amazing to see her just blow up like that. Badass. She 
was just so supportive and everything as a casting director here and just I loved her to death before this and so now you know you get in the makeup trail she's like I saw you on the call she and you know it's great to be able to hang out with her on set and know you know that you can blow up and not be 22 right you know you can still put in the work and yeah. your day is still ahead of you and not to, to say whatever but you know how Hollywood is with youth their yeah. fascination with youth. I'm hoping that'll change now that time's up. You know, I'm hoping some things will change and now women can be grown-ups and, you know, not be child-sized anymore and, I, I, you know. Your lips to God's ears, so yes. Yeah. So, um, I get fan mail. I don't know what to write on it most of the time. I, thanks for watching the show. Um, yeah. You know, it's, it's just odd. Because there's a part of me that feels like, why are they writing me? Right. <laughs> Imposter syndrome. Yeah. But yeah. you you did the job. Yeah. You're on the screen. Yeah. Like, you're not, you're not claiming you did any more than you did. Right. And they sought out you. Yeah. Now, there are a lot of people that are just trying to collect as many signatures as they can. And that's fine. They got their goals. That's Whatever works. <laughs> they got their goals. But it's like, I get mail from, like, all over the world. It's crazy. And, and when I first came on the show, it was, I got to say, Brazil. In Costa Rica, they gave me the most, the most love straight off the bat. No kidding. Yeah, yeah. So that was great. But in all of these things and the things that I get, the best thing ever was when I'm waiting on my kid after school to pick up, um, pick him up from reading bowl practice. And I look over and there's this little kid standing next to me. You know, I've known his mom, dad for forever, whatever. And he's just got the hugest smile on his face. I saw you on Stranger Things. Great job. And then he high-fived me. And I was like, oh, That's amazing. That's why you do it. Like, that, right. that will be what I remember for forever. That like, is amazing. Like, I'll see him again when he's 25. I'll be like, oh, my God, when you were in third grade. Right. <laughs> you know, that was awesome. That is excellent. Yeah. Uh, I could talk for hours, but I know we're running out of time. I, I want to go through a few questions that I ask every guest. Okay. Um, so they're short questions, but you do not have to answer in a short manner. Uh, do you or did you have a favorite bookstore? A favorite bookstore? Mm -hmm. No. <laughs> That's short. Um, not really. Um, however, I am rereading A Wrinkle in Time right now, my favorite childhood book. Outstanding. And all the Black Panther stuff. I cannot wait until oh Black Panther comes out. I already... You know, I already have the tickets, and um, yes, my outfit just came back from the tailor. Anyway, I'm, you know, I'm, that's outstanding. I think this might end racism. I don't know. <laughs> Look, I don't know. I <laughs> That'd think be this amazing. Movie may end racism. I could see all the KKK be like, I don't know. I kind of like. Well, yeah, I know. That's kind of cool. <laughs> kind of like that, that thing that was flying, <laughs> you know. I love that. But um, my son and I are reading. Uh, we we have a podcast where we talk about movies and stuff like that, yeah. and so we're reading A Wrinkle in Time to go in. In advance of the movie. Yeah, my son um, loves books, and he's like, oh, I have it in my library. Oh, do you? Oh, okay, thanks. <laughs> so we're, like, co-reading it. Like, I read it during the day, and he reads it at night. So I should be finished today, I'm thinking, but had That's to reread excellent. it. Favorite book of all times as a child. You know what I mean? A I loved book. it also. Yeah. Um, tell me about, like, an ideal Saturday. Uh, like, when you were being your best self. And I don't know what that, you know, that what that means for you, because, you know, that actor's life can be so... Very, very busy, and then not busy at all. Um, yeah, I'm usually not busy, but 
distracted all the time. I'm going off Facebook. I'm I'm doing a Facebook fast for two weeks, and I, those I, who know me know that that's like ripping a bandaid off. Yeah, you're you're on there a lot. I am always on there. Um, it's also because I did do the NFL boycott this year, and since my team is in the Super Bowl, let's talk about that for a second. Let's forget. <laughs> I, I might have if I email you these perennial questions. Will you email them? Me sure. back some answers because mm-hmm. this yeah. is more interesting to me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, you're a Philadelphia Eagles fan. Yeah. They are in the Super Bowl. Yeah. And you are doing this boycott. Yeah. Uh, does the timing just seem perfect? <laughs> it was funny because when my husband and I finally decided that we were going to participate in the boycott, um, you know, uh, I was like, who watched the Eagles go to the Super Bowl this year? <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? So I'll say this much. Um, I'll say it time and time again. And I had a big thing that I I wrote this morning, too, is that um, my son has just turned 13 and is 5'10", size 12 and a half foot. And he just turned 13, not even a month ago, maybe almost a month. I don't want to imagine what your clothes budget is. That's what I'm saying, where it's a choice between jeans and headshots. Right. Right, you know. And he is afraid to wear a hoodie. He won't wear a hoodie because he's scared. Right. You know, I have to have a talk with him. He's going out for Halloween dressed as Lando Calrissian. And I'm like, keep that laser gun up under your uh, cape, yo. You know what I mean? That I have to have these talks with him. And thankfully, he has, like, his two closest friends are both white. Both their families are woke. You know what I mean? And totally understand and support, uh, understand that it's different for him. And don't give me the, oh, it doesn't matter. Yeah, it is different. And so I posted something this morning about a kid that that talked about how he was racially profiled in his own neighborhood. And that kid and my kid used to be on the same basketball team like two years ago. Okay. And I'm like, this is why, you know, Trayvon Martin, that was that thing where I was like, see? But it was the Tamir Rice one story that I, it just broke my heart. I was just like, I couldn't believe it because I saw my son. That kid was 12. You know, just playing with a gun outside like a toy gun. It's America. That's that's our second American rights. Play with guns, and he was just killed within seconds. Seconds of the police arriving on the scene, and they got off. And that is why Colin Kaepernick, Neil, I I totally understand why people don't support that. I I get this. I get that they just don't see it from where we are. They don't feel the fear that I feel for my son, and. They don't have to feel the fear, though, to understand it, in my opinion. But I think people are just not exposed because we can go back and forth. I have a lot of white liberal friends that say stuff all the time that my white Republican friends have never said to me. I was just joking, Karen. Were you really? You know, and I see a lot of the same behaviors that a lot of white liberals will wag their fingers at. And I'm like, isn't that your cousin, though? Like, y'all grew up together, right? Like, so you got some baggage, too, right? I think everybody just needs to take a minute and look at their own baggage. I have baggage. We all have baggage. Um, You know, uh, I just think a lot of people aren't exposed. I have a friend that is personal friends with Donald Trump. Personal friends. 30 years. Personal friends. We are so not on the same page politically. Does she wish the best for me? Yes. Does she think I'm great at what I do, regardless of my race or regardless of my gender? Yes. Does she want great things for my son? Yes. Does she get it? No. So I have to expose her in different kinds of ways. I'm not happy, you know, but by the same token, 
Some people just don't get it. I'm not making excuses, but I get where they're coming from, even though they don't get where I go. I'm coming from. However, I supported the boycott because I thought it was BS that he got blackballed in America for taking a stand for something. I thought it was BS. So I stepped out of the NFL this year, this season. Um, I found it ironic, and I still do, that people were boycotting on both sides. Yeah. Like arch, like very conservative, you know, alt-right Republicans are boycotting the NFL. Right. And so are, you know, liberal Democrats as well. Yeah. And it was just... I, until the playoffs came. I still found that I Look, just found it fascinating. Until the playoffs came, and then everybody that was <laughs> hashtagging supporting for Cap, they all left eating chicken now. Anyway, <laughs> drinking beer. And um, it got hard. Like, I don't follow football like I used to. Uh, the other thing is, the last time the Eagles went to the Super Bowl, my son was two weeks old you know he was two weeks old and now he's a giant so to me it is a full circle moment um and it doesn't count if it doesn't cost anything Mm -hmm. and it didn't cost until first my husband's a falcons fan so when the falcons play the eagles and we were like because we always have something when they play my husband's a chef so we go all out we we do it up for our parties and we always have something for the super bowl and I started wavering and my husband was just like, no, this is why we did this. This is why we did this. And he's an immigrant, a Muslim immigrant. See it through. contributed to this country since 1987. Right. And it's not right. And history will tell the truth as it always does. So everybody who hated, hates Colin Kaepernick 20 years from now, I just think it's great. He was supporting our country and, you know, whatever, right? But yeah, I, I had to stay hold firm. It's hurting my heart because I want to be singing the Eagles song. I want to be doing that. I still support my team. I still support the Eagles. I still am happy that they are somewhat supportive. Some of the, the people on the team are, are supporting it. It just worked out this year that way. So it doesn't, it doesn't matter if it doesn't cost you anything. So it cost me. I got FOMO. You know, but what are you going to do? I did it for a reason. I want my son to know and understand. You know, there are some things more important than football. Karen Cisa, it's been a joy to talk to you. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you. I really appreciate it. Thank you. You're wearing your Eagles green, though. Right? <laughs> <laughs> hmm. I'm with DK on this. <laughs> I'm on the Falcon side. All right. Yeah, yeah. Well, I hope the Eagles can do what the Falcons didn't last year. <laughs> it still hurts. Let's not it's talk like, about why, it. Why'd you end it like that? It was so positive. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You can cut it. You a can nice cut it. nice button and everything. <laughs> no. Karen say thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Origin Story Podcast. The show is produced by Pinecone Turkey. To learn more about Pinecone Turkey, visit pineconeturkey.com, or you can sign up for the Flock email a twice-a-month newsletter that delivers a short film, poetry, a short story, and visual art right to your inbox. It's your monthly dose of art curated by Pinecone Turkey. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can do so by leaving us a rating on iTunes. Thanks for listening.